0: Uh, So this morning we are finishing off uh, the series we've been doing the past few weeks, the God Is series, Uh, and finishing on God is love. God is love is kind of one of the the fan favorites. Uh, I asked one of my friends uh, if they were to design God, and they had the list of attributes we've gone through, uh, which would be their top three, uh, and God is love came number one. Uh, We all kind of love the idea that God is love, and so does the world. The world may not believe it, uh, but if they but if they wanted to say something about God, they would say, God is love. Uh, if you're here at church and it's one of your first times at church, you may be pretty glad that the talk you're going to hear is on God is love rather than something else that you might have heard about Christianity. Or if you were to invite somebody to church, you'd probably want to bring them to a week like God is love week. But as we, as we think and, and we hear the phrase a lot, God is love, there's often two pretty big errors that we fall into. The first is that we get that phrase the wrong way around. And rather than say or believe or act like God is love, we turn it into love is God. And the other is that we dramatically underestimate just how amazing this love is that God says he is. And so that first one, that God is love, but actually saying love is God. When we do that, what we're saying is that our definition of love, our experience of love, is what we're going to hold up here as the authority. And when we do that, we can excuse quite a lot of things in the name of love that would be so far removed from what God is actually like. Our passage in 1 John tells us, it says that love is from God, love is of God, but it says God is love. And when we get that phrase the right way, we say God is love, we get to look at all of history and see how God has always been love, and he paints a far richer and broader and more wonderful picture of love than we could ever dream or imagine. And so, uh, looking through all of history is kind of what we're going to do this morning, Uh, and I really mean all of history, pre-creation and everything, to see how God is and has always been love, and then we're going to zero in uh, on the passage um, to see how it points ultimately uh, to God who is love. So starting at the very beginning, uh, we understand that God has always existed as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And between all members of the Trinity, there has always been perfect love. Love that leaves no one wanting more, no one is lacking love, no one is unsatisfied in the amount or the quality of love. But they enjoy perfect love together. And love itself is something that doesn't exist unless beings love. And so if we all disappeared suddenly, There would be no love here, but there would still be the chairs. A chair doesn't get its existence from the fact that you sit on it. Once it's a chair, it's a chair. But love only exists when beings love. And so if we want to believe in an eternal God, an eternal God who is love, then God must have always had something to love. But this something could not be something outside of him, because then that thing would also be eternal, and would have to say, well, is that God's? But no, between the Trinity, there has always been perfect, satisfying love. And I know thinking about that love in the Trinity kind of sounds far removed from what we actually want to talk about. And the questions on our hearts uh, are more like, well, does God really love me? And if so, what does that mean? But if we get a greater understanding of the love that has always existed it makes the love that we experience seem so much more wonderful. Because we'll realize just how it is that God has chosen to make us out of his love. Because we often make a mistake, and we hear this in churches or say this in churches, that God made us because he needed somebody to love him. Or that he made us because he needed somebody to love. But we know that's not the case because the Trinity has always existed in perfect love. So we are not made because God needed love. We are made out of an overflow of the love that has always been there. Imagine, uh, if you will, there are three people and they're watch- they've just made a movie uh, and it's the perfect movie and they're watching it. And as these people watch couples retreat, what they're seeing is that this movie is perfect. They're having the most amazing time They have all the snacks, everything they could ever need. They are are wanting nothing. And yet they choose to invite others in. Now, they're not asking the others or they're needing the others to bring along other movies or bring along more snacks or anything. They don't need any of that. But out of love, they are inviting others in to enjoy what has always been. And so in creating us, God is inviting us to join in and share in the love that has always been. And God shows us his love so often in his self-giving. You see, if a, if a billionaire walked in, somebody with huge riches, and gave you a tenner, you'd be pretty thankful. But it really doesn't cost the billionaire much at all. They wouldn't really notice that they've given you a tenner. A person of infinite riches can give without, uh, quite a lot without much cost. But what would cost most is for them to give them very self. All of them self. And that's exactly what God does to his people right throughout the whole of history. That not only does he give great blessings, family, each other, rain, sun, but he gives him very, him very self, his very self. Uh, We see this in creation. When God makes the, the world, he makes it good. He makes us very good. And he even says that he has made us in his own image. As humans, we are the only things in the whole universe that bear God's image. He has given that to us. And what's more, with Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave himself that. He dwelt with them and he walked with them. He gave his image and his presence. And more, back in the the ancient days of history, prehistory, we read a glorious truth in Ephesians 1, that in love, God chose us before the foundation of the world to be in him, and predestined us to be adopted as sons. Before there was a star in the sky or a grain of sand on the beach, if you are a Christian, God chose you to be in Jesus. And what more of himself could he give than for your life to be swallowed up in Jesus? That everywhere you go or breathe or be or whatever, you are in Christ Jesus. And how beautiful is it that in love, he chose you. And he didn't choose you based on your potential for godliness, on how well you would turn out, on how cool you would be, or how holy you would be. He chose you to be holy and blameless, but He would make you that. He chose you not based on how well you would perform. He chose you based on the fact that God is love. And that does not change. And so in love, He chose you to be in Him. And so if you are a Christian, I'm sure potentially right now or often, you feel like a pretty bad one. That as you look around the room in church, you see so many people that are holier than you, that you haven't got it together, that you haven't shaken off that sin. But God chose you, the real you. In love, he chose the real you to be in him. What's more, So we see... Um, So God being so good to us, uh, to his people. Uh, And in the Garden of Eden, he has given them everything they could ever need, uh, all the food and, and water and everything. He's given them himself to be with them. And yet despite all of that, they choose to reject him. They eat from the forbidden tree, and they are cast out from the garden. And so with our own perceptions of love, we would think, well, they've rejected that love even though that love has been so generous, God has given them so much they've rejected it, so surely God would just leave them be. Yet what he does as they are out of the garden is he fashions clothes for them. Their sin has made them aware of their nakedness. Their sin, their rejection of God, and yet even in their rejection of God, because God's love was so set on them, He fashioned clothes for them to still care for them. And that's a story we see right throughout the pages of Scripture of God's immense goodness, his patience, his kindness, his giving of himself and his blessings, but a continual rejection of him and all of those. So picture Israel after the exodus from Egypt. They had been in slavery for 400 years. God has brought them out He is leading them towards the promised land. But it's only a few days or weeks until they are grumbling again. And they are reminiscing about how nice life was back in Egypt. Egypt where Pharaoh had just killed all the baby boys. Egypt where they'd been in slavery for generations and generations. And they think, wouldn't it be so great to be back there? And so Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God and they take their golden jewelry that God had got for them, they melt it down, and they build a golden calf to worship. They think that this calf is what really loves them, that this calf will be good to them and provide for them. And so we'd think if God didn't reject them before, surely now, surely after doing all that, it would be finally time to just relent. Yet God's love did not give up on them but continued to be patient and to forgive. And so often through the pages of scripture, we read some of the most beautiful words where God says, I will be their God and they will be my people. God did not remove his presence, he was their God and he would remain their God. And so that story continues and continues. God's blessing, and Israel's rejection. And so we see the most, one of the most beautiful acts of love we see in all of Scripture. We see Jesus step down from the glory of heaven to be born in a stable, in poverty, in the back end of nowhere. And he's a baby. He is fully dependent on his parents. He is at their mercy, God, who has always existed in perfect love, would choose to step down into earth. Uh, And we often, we move straight from there, um, straight to the cross, and we'll, we'll get to the cross. But it's really important we understand exactly how it is Jesus came. You see, if Jesus came as some kind of earthly king with an earthly throne and crown and power and everything then we'd assume that the only people that could get to Jesus or that Jesus came for were those just like that. That if you wanted to get to Jesus, you'd also have to have a crown. That if you wanted to get to Jesus, you'd have to have your life all together. You'd have to live up to the expectations you set for yourself. You'd have to be the real deal. You'd have to be popular or whatever. But no, Jesus came as a little baby poor, and so accessible to all. We see that in the nativity story. The shepherds, the lowest of the low, nobody really wanted to be a shepherd or associate with them. Yet they are the first that are invited to come and meet Jesus. And the wise men, the highest of the high, they come to meet Jesus as well. As Jesus came to earth, he did not come for some kind of elite, but he came for all of us. No matter how well you have it together, Jesus coming as a baby shows that you are so loved and that Jesus loves you so much that he came for you. And then we get to to the central part of our passage. It's verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Scripture, when it really wants to boil down how we see love, in John, in Romans, in this book of John, they say, if you really want to see love, look at the cross. If you really want to see love, see how the Son of God lays down His life to save sinners like you and I. See how we... And we may scoff at Israel for for worshipping a golden calf and and everything. But we who are exactly the same as them, who continue to reject God day after day, to reject his presence, to reject his blessings, see how we who deserve nothing from him would receive the gift of the life of the Son of God. I'd love for you to, to try and picture the scene As Jesus hangs there. Uh, But not a scene like we often get in in a movie. And we think this is a beautiful scene. And we watch and we enjoy. In this scene we are not just observers. But we are invited in. We are invited. To give all our sin to Jesus. To repent. And to be saved by this death. To trust and know that our sins are paid for. That we are truly loved. And if you are listening and you don't know Jesus, I want to ask you, what are you going to do with this invitation? How are you going to respond to this act of love? And if you are a believer, then at some point in your life, and very potentially now, you've, you've had the question, does God really love me? And the question doesn't arrive from some kind of absence of theology or whatever, but it arises whenever life gets incredibly hard. And I know for many in the room, the past 18 months and before that have been unbelievably hard. And I would shudder to have to imagine all that you have been through. And so you very naturally might have asked the question, does God really love me? Does he really love me when my whole life is crashing apart? And the answer is given so definitively in the death of his son, Jesus Christ. If you are wondering if you are loved, spend time dwelling in and picturing this scene of Jesus dying for you. And know you are truly loved by God, the perfect God, even to the point of death. And if we recognize God's, God's love in how he gives himself, then we also get to see his beautiful love in Jesus' resurrection. That as Jesus is resurrected, so we get to hold on to the promise that we too will be resurrected that in love, God will raise us to eternal life. Uh, and then as we, as we follow on uh, from our passage, it's just verse 13, just after what we read. We see that God's giving did not end in the resurrection. But by this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. If we see that God loves us by him giving himself to us, then we can look at the spirit that he has given us. That if you are a Christian, from the day you became a Christian, God's spirit, God himself lives in you. That you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and that is a seal that you nor anyone else could break. It means God's love is set on you and it will not depart from you. And it is by that spirit we get to follow the commands of verse 7, 11, and 12. Uh, 7, 11, and 12 kind of form a sandwich around our passage. They basically say the same thing, um, just slightly different. To help us see that, that when we get right the bit in the middle that God is love, that this is what happens. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And he later continues to say again, Beloveds, love one another. By this perfect love that is in us, by God putting it there, we get and are able to love one another. And what that says to the whole world speaks absolute volumes. See, if we want to know that we are loved by that picture of Jesus on the cross, that is all great for us. But so much of the world out there uh, in Aberdeen and in our, in our schools and workplaces, or across the whole world, will never spend any, any time picturing that scene of Jesus dying on the cross. For many, the first they'll ever hear about it was on Judgment Day. For so many, they will never enter a church building and hear that Jesus died for them. They will never hear of how perfectly and fully loved they are. And so the closest they'll ever see to the love of God is the love of God as we love one another. As God's love is planted in us. And so we share that. That is the closest they will see. And so let's hear these words of John as he calls us to love one another. And would we trust that so much of the world will be able to see that love and they will wonder where does it come from? And we will get to say with such gladness, this comes from the love that is offered to us on the cross by Jesus Christ. And there is coming a day where Jesus returns. And that with our brothers and sisters, we will be wrapped up, enjoying forever the perfect love of God. That that love that has always existed that will be our home. Uh, And finally, I want to urge you, um, and I I really speak to myself, at least as much as anybody else in this, that there is really nowhere else to look in the whole universe to see such love. That in all these ways that the world offers us love, even, even good things, none of it will come close to comparing with the love that is offered by God. If we think that when we get the perfect spouse or the perfect family or job or anything, that, that, will, that then we'll be fully loved. That those people or those things will give us the love that we are looking for. Or that those quick fixes will give us the love that we desperately crave. It is such a waste of time and a waste of life to go around just searching for these things and searching and searching. Because unless we come back and see that God is love, we will never find this love. And so as you go, spend time looking at that scene again of Jesus on the cross. Find there the one who is love and the one who loves you perfectly. Let's pray. Lord, we can look through all of history, uh, anything you have ever said or done, and see love. And how blessed are we to be able to receive your love that you would send Jesus to die for our sins. That you love us despite our failings, our sin. Lord, give us a greater understanding of your love for us and help us uh, to share that love with the whole world. Lord, we ask that, that by your spirit we would love one another and that would point people right to you. Lord, thank you so much that the love that we get to share is the best love that anyone could ever have. And help us to to love you back. Amen.